everyone, and welcome to Trips Tennis Talk, the amateur podcast about professional tennis, Australian Open Preview Edition. A couple of items to get through for you today, and we will start with a draw breakdown as it is 7.48 p.m. on January 14th here on the West Coast. Looking at the draws, we'll start with the women's draw, and then we'll get to the men's draw. And I'm going to break it down by quarter, listing any notable players in that quarter that I deemed worthy of mention. And then after that, I will make my picks. So starting with the women's draw by quarter, the first quarter is... Number one, Sviantek versus number seven, Goff. Also in that section, Andrescu, Rybakina, Ostapenko, and Raducanu, all previous Grand Slam winners. The second quarter is number three, Pagula against number six, Sakari. Also in that second quarter, Kenin, Azarenka, Kvitova, and Krejcikova, um, who have all won major tournaments. So in that top half alone, I count 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, at least 9 major winners. Apologies if I missed anybody. To me, the top half of the women's draw is the more competitive half. The bottom half of the women's draw... The third quarter, number eight, Kasatkina against number four, Garcia. And the fourth quarter, number five, Sabalenka against number two, Jabor. Also in that last quarter, Muguruza and Stevens, former major winners. The semifinal seeding bracket, number one, Sviantek against number three, Pagula. Number four, Garcia against number two, Jabor, is the bottom semi there, if they happened. Those matches, on paper, they'd be pretty good. I'd be down with those matches, but as most of you guys listening to this know, the seedings rarely hold to form to the final four. And I honestly think that Sviantek is such an overwhelming favorite that draw analysis is not as useful at this tournament as it might be for other tournaments. It doesn't really matter what order the draw is in. I think that Sviantek is such an overwhelming favorite that she'll get it no matter who she plays and no matter when they play. Moving to the men's draw, the quarter breakdown. The first quarter, number one seed, Rafael Nadal and the defending champion takes on number seven seed, Daniil Medvedev. Second quarter, number three seed, Sitsipas against number six seed, Ajay Aliassim. Third quarter, number five, Rublev against number four, Djokovic. It was really, really weird seeing a four next to Djokovic's name. And it's been a long time since we've seen him not at the top or at the bottom of a draw. Going strictly from memory and not fact-checking this, 
He didn't play the U.S. Open. At Wimbledon, wasn't he the top seed because of the grass formula or something? I might be wrong about that. But I could have sworn at Wimbledon he was at least a one or a two seed. I probably shouldn't speculate without doing the fact check. Just the point is, seeing Djokovic as a four seed is really weird. And the bottom quarter of the men's draw? Number eight, Taylor Fritz against number two, Casper Ruud. My takeaway from the men's draw is that Casper Ruud has a great draw up to the semis. So does Fritz, by the way. And to make my preseason predictions of world number one Casper Ruud effective, he needs to have a good result here, or at least it would help. And I have similar feelings about the men's draw. I think Djokovic is such an overwhelming favorite to win it all that spending too much time on draw breakdowns for this particular tournament is not the best use of our time as tennis fans. I don't think Nadal has much of a chance to hold the trophy at the end of the two weeks. So, of course, that means that he will. No, but but seriously, I don't. I really don't give Rafa much of a chance at the moment. I think Djokovic is a strong favorite here. And since I have given my uh, picks already, spoiler alert, I've given my champions. Let's go through them. So... I've got my bracket here on the Tennis.com Racket Bracket Challenge. I've got the men's webpage up here first, so we'll go with that. I'll give my picks for the quarterfinals onward for the men. Medvedev over Rafa. Sinner over Nori. Djokovic over Kyrgios. And Rude over Fritz. In the men's semifinals, I've got Medvedev over Sinner and Djokovic over Rude. In the final, I've got Djokovic over Medvedev. The women's bracket, let's take a look at my picks there. Beginning with the quarterfinals, here is what I've got. Sviantek over Zhang. Pagula over Keys, Alexandrova over Kasatkina in that slightly more empty third quarter, and Bencic over Jabor in the bottom quarter. In the women's semifinals, I've got Sviantek over Pagula and Bencic over Alexandrova. And in the final... Congrats, Belinda Bencic. You got there, but the winner is going to be Iga Sviantek. And those are my are my uh, singles picks. What I would like to do now is spotlight some first-timers in the draw, and I would like to give a shout-out to the WTATennis.com staff, and specifically Alex McPherson, McPherson who has written an article detailing the Grand Slam debuts, so that way I didn't have to do it manually. So, thanks, Alex. Reading a little bit from the article here, 10 players will break new ground at the 2023 Australian Open by contesting the main draw of a Grand Slam 
for the first time. Brenda Fruvertova, the sister of Linda Fruvertova. And again, this is going to be some fun pronunciation for me. This is going to be the pronunciation failure segment. Also making their debuts, Olivia Gadecki or Gadechki. Talia Gibson from Australia, 18 years old. Julia Graber from Austria. She's on the older side, 26. And I looked, and she is into the top 85 now. She's in the top 100. And I'd never even seen her name before. So that means that she's had a good last couple of months to quickly get inside the top 100 by playing on the equivalent of the challenger circuit. Polina Kudermatova. That's interesting. I did not see two Kudermatovas in the draw, so maybe that's another sister situation. Oh, maybe it is. Maybe I missed that. So in my draw, I forgot to put the initials there. Eva Lise making her debut. Catherine Sebov. Diana Schneider. Lucrezia Stefanini. Moyuka Uchijima. Uchijima. Those are the WTA debutantes at this Grand Slam. One that wasn't mentioned in there, Sarah Bezlek, 16 years old. So maybe you missed one, Alex, or maybe I just didn't read it here. I don't know. Anyway, let's not get bogged down in that. A theme that I've seen across both the men's and the women's draws is that there are several young players that I spotted in the draw when I was researching for this segment about players making their Grand Slam debut. Talia Gibson, 18 years old. Sarah Bezlek, 16. Olivia Gadecki, age 20. Especially the 16-year-old player. Wow, that has got to be quite an experience. On the men's side, shame on you, ATP tour.com staff for not having an equivalent article so I had to do some manual digging and I found four players making their debuts here first Alexi Krutik Alexi O-L-E-K-S-I-I Krutik K-R-U-T-Y-K-H He is making not only his Grand Slam debut, but his tour-level debut. Also making their Grand Slam debuts, Luca Van Asic. Luca Van Asic. Asch. A-S-S-C-H-E. Luca Van Asch. There we go. Luca Van Asch. From Japan, Yosuke Watanuki. Yosuke Watanuki. And I looked it up. He's the third-ranked Japanese player, and that's the first time I'm seeing his name. 
and then also making Grand Slam debut, making their Grand Slam debut, Shang Juncheng, age 17. His nationality is officially listed as China, but I looked him up, and he is an IMG Academy student currently based out of Bradenton, Florida. And those are your debuts. The first one always has to be special, right? Because it's the dream for all of these players to get into a situation where your dream is being realized when you make the big leagues by playing these Grand Slam tournaments. And if any of these players go on to be Hall of Famers, you can come back to this podcast, and I was one of the first people in the world to say their name that you heard. And that's really all that I have in terms of analysis preview type stuff. Again, I'm just kind of ready to get into it, start watching the matches. This could be one of those Grand Slams where you have to wait a week or so to get the really juicy contender storylines to the front of the queue. But we'll see. Now, next I would like to move into some media stuff for the American listeners of this podcast, which is every listener of this podcast. So ESPN is going to be covering the Australian Open, reading a little bit from their press release. I don't need to do that. You guys know the deal. On cable, it'll be on ESPN, ESPN2. All singles matches will be streamed on ESPN+, so make sure you have that hooked up. It is totally worth it. <coughs> As a special presentation of ESPN Radio, Sirius XM will offer subscribers comprehensive live coverage throughout the tournament. Coverage will be available on channel 392 on Sirius XM Radio and channel 982 on the SXM app. The women's and men's semifinals and finals will be on Channel 81 for Sirius. ABC will have two one-hour highlight shows during the middle and final weekends. And there was a report that John McEnroe was not going to commentate for ESPN. I don't see it mentioned in the press release here, so we'll have to wait until the coverage begins to see who's actually appearing on the air. For the first day of action, this will be Monday, January 16th in Melbourne, Sunday, January 15th in the U.S. ESPN comes on at 7 p.m. Eastern on Sunday the 15th, 7 to 11 Eastern on ESPN, and then at 11 o'clock, coverage shifts to ESPN 2 until 2 a.m. And if they do the same thing that they did last year, they'll shut off the cable coverage in the middle of the night and make you go on to ESPN Plus for the 3 a.m. night sessions. But I hope they don't do that. I hope they just keep it on all through the night. Pacific time, coverage starts at 4 p.m. And there's that. Don't really have anything else to add on the media, so now we're moving into the schedule, the Monday schedule. 
I have not seen it yet, so let's look at it together. So here we go. Okay, Rod Laver Arena, and I'm going to switch this into Melbourne time. Okay. Actually, let's do it by time. I always do that, right? Okay, first up, we've got Coco Goff and Jessica Pagula playing their openers and Yannick Sinner. No coincidence that the Americans are on first because they'll be playing in the primetime Sunday night slot in the States. Second matches up, Kvitova, Herkoch, Sakari. 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 Pacific, Rafael Nadal versus Jack Draper. Also out there, Kennan versus Azarenka. That's a matchup of Australian Open winners in singles. Ah, oh, they put Jason Kubler on John Kane Arena. Good for them. Jason Kubler is an Australian who... I believe has never won a match at the Australian Open, but he's won matches at the other majors, each of them, and he missed time. Lots he missed many years with injuries. He played the Australian Open all the way back in 2010, did Jason Kubler, and he's still around. Felix takes on Pospisil in an all-Canadian matchup. Checking the outer courts throughout the day. Danielle Collins, the defending finalist, don't forget. Radicanu, Andrescu. Tiafo is out there. Shapovalov is out there. Cam Nori plays his opener. Ostapenko. Stan Vavrinka. Coco Vandeweghe is also back in the Australian Open draw, a former semi finalist. Korda. Anna Samova's been struggling. Nishioka against Yamur. That one could go... That one could be interesting. Rinki Hijikata plays his home Grand Slam. <sighs> Rabakana is out on court 13. But no tears are being shed for her in this corner. <sighs> Nakashima against McDonald. Second on court 16. That'll be a intriguing match for all you sickos out there. You Ricky Diamond types. Lloyd Harris is playing. Lloyd Harris has missed uh, maybe a year or so. He's been out for quite a while with injury. I don't know how long, so let's not report that it was a year. But Lloyd's of London Harris is back. Nice to see that. Bodic van de Zanschulp. He has a good draw. He might go a couple rounds here. So looking at the schedule here, nothing really jumps out to me in terms of a popcorn match. I would say that my popcorn match tomorrow is Stan Vavrinka versus Alex Molchan, fourth on 1573 Arena. The night session matches. This is 3 a.m. Eastern Time start, midnight Pacific start. First up, Iga Sviantek takes on Nehemiah, and Sitsipas takes on Canton Hali. And the nightcap matches on the two courts. Medvedev takes on Marcus Giron, and Keys takes on Blinkova. My immediate reaction to seeing the schedule here, honestly, it's kind of a soft opening, but hopefully 
uh, things come out of the woodwork to entertain us through the night. <sighs> now, I would like to play some audio from the players. Let's listen to some press conferences. I want to limit myself to two players from each draw. So first, let's hear from Coco Goff and what she's thinking right now. Hi everyone, welcome to the press conference of Coco Goff. I'll start with the first question, just raise your hand if you have one. Coco, uh, welcome back to Melbourne. Um, just talk about um, the start of your year um, winning that title in Auckland uh, last week. Uh, yeah, it was a great confidence booster for me. I had a lot of fun in Auckland. I think the tournament um, did a great job despite the rain. Um, unfortunate for the fans, but I had a great time playing indoors and outdoors. Um, we joked that it was like more of an indoor tournament than outdoor, um, but I still had a lot of fun and I hope to be back. Okay, here's like the first question. David? David Law from the Tennis Podcast. Um, I just wonder about the off-season. How much work you're able to do on your game to try to improve areas maybe that you're not as confident with? Is is there enough time? Do you feel like you've made any meaningful difference between the end of the season and now? Yeah, I think I made a, a lot of improvements. It was a lot of hard work, a lot of long days. Um, but I feel like I've improved a lot. And um, yeah, I really think that I had probably one of the best off seasons I had in a while. Um, now, we don't know if the results will show right away for the work it has so far in the first week, but I hope it continues throughout the year. Um, but I think it really was a good off-season for me. Um, a lot of the transition game, I know a lot of people mentioned how many times I went to the net in Auckland. Um, so that was a lot we were working on, especially for me who likes to play doubles. So I was trying to transfer that volleying more into singles, especially with the way I move and hit. Um, and then serving, working on serve placement, and also the forehand, working on that, and returns. Congratulations on the title in Auckland last week. Um, you collected, I think, a prize money check of around about $34,000 for winning that title. The men's champion tomorrow will win three times, today, I think, will win three times that, roughly. Mm -hmm. Is that a disparity? you're aware of and how do you feel about it? Um, to be honest, this is the first time <laughs> I don't pay attention to my prize money, so I had no idea how much I won. It's not something I look um, uh, look for, but um, I mean, I didn't realize the difference, but I mean, yeah, there's definitely a difference and it's definitely uh, work that needs to be done, um, especially, you know, at the lower level tournaments, 250s and uh, 500s, 125s to kind of make that more even out. Um, but yeah, I, I honestly didn't look at my prize money um, at that tournament. I just was trying to get on the flight to Melbourne. But um, yeah, I didn't realize it was that big of a difference. Okay, Matt. Hey, Matt Butterman. Um, you're, you've been around for a few years now, but you're still only 18. Do you feel like a veteran? Do you feel <laughs> like a kid? Do you feel like a, I mean, what, what, what do you what do you feel like when you're when you're walking around these tournaments now? It's kind of weird, like compared to other players. I mean, 
obviously I still have a lot less years than them, but there's some, like I was joking about this last night, I did mini golfing with Ben Ben Shelton and Chris Eubanks, and like this is, you know, his first time out the country, first foot, like first, uh, I think, no, he played main draw at US Open, but first time out the country, like, and like I was just saying, like I'm a vet compared to you, even though he's older than me, because <laughs> I think I've been on tour four years now. Um, so I don't know how to feel like I still, feel I definitely feel like more experienced and like I belong like I don't feel like the new kid so but I don't think I feel like quite a vet but I, I don't feel like the new kid I feel like I'm in the middle of the pack mm, yeah I can just see Courtney behind <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, hey Coco um, in terms of this tournament itself what is the challenge of the Australian Open to you what what yeah what has been the struggle in the past to kind of sometimes bring out your best tennis and what do you hope is is different this year I think just it being the first slam of the year, you know, you everybody wants to get off to a good start. Um, so I think that's the first part is just getting over the over the nerves. Um, but I think the main thing is just accepting um, the circumstances. Um, you never know how you're going to feel in these first couple matches, um, and especially um, just the way you know the weather is. Like today is super hot, but the days we've been practicing has not been hot. So you just you don't know what you're going to get, and I think you just have to accept it. Um, and yeah, really, I'm just hoping to see myself on the court and being present in the moment and not looking too far in the future. And I think I've done a good job of that this week and our last week in Auckland. And I'm hoping to do that here, just enjoying the enjoying the present and not looking too far in the past or too far in the future. Alex, uh, kind of connected to that when you say not looking too far into the future. How aware are you of what your possible path? forward through the draw looks like here specifically this time but also just in general week to week at different tournaments uh, yeah I'm never I never really look at the whole draw um, so I, I never look at um, who I'm playing next because um, you won't be playing next if you don't get through the first match so um, I'm the type of person that takes it match by match um, and yeah for the most part that's what I do every week um, and usually, if I'm looking at the draws, maybe to see who my friends are playing. Um, but that's about it. How do you then find out? Is it, will you look, or let's say your dad will say, hey, next comes this after you win a match? How do you find out? Usually in the press, <laughs> uh, I do a match, and then like I, I usually am come like 30 minutes, 40 minutes after the court straight away. Um, and like during that time, I don't look at who I play because I feel like um, each win, you I feel like I'm, you need to enjoy it a little bit more. I feel like I'm just looking in the past, looking too far ahead, and I'm like, you know, I think at least for that that like 45 minutes that I have before press, like enjoying that um, that win. And the grand slams, it's a lot easier because you have that day in between. So usually I would. You know, enjoy my win and not start focusing to the uh, focusing to the next match until like midday on the day off. Um, so yeah, usually I, I find out either in the press or or I just look it up myself. Success in doubles last year as well as singles. Mm -hmm. I just wondered, do you have a plan for twenty twenty three? How much doubles you plan to play, similar to last year? Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're just taking it tournament by, tournament by tournament. I definitely, I don't know if I'll play like as much like Auckland. I think it was a good decision not to play. I was debating on it playing or not. Um, but I mean, I couldn't predict the wet weather, but something in my gut told me not to. And I guess it was that the weather. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to 
I guess taking it tournament by tournament. Um, I've, I'll be playing with Jess pretty much the whole year. Um, so it'll be a lot easier, I guess, regarding, you know, making the race. I mean, Jess and I teamed up in Dubai and Dubai, uh, no, Doha. Doha, Doha. Yeah, teamed up in Doha. Um, so it was a little bit later in the year, so we didn't like, we weren't even thinking of making the race. We never had good results together until then. So um, I think it's one of those things that we'll just take tournament by tournament, um, but it'll definitely be a little bit of a less ske lesser schedule. Okay, last one with Matt. Yep. Uh, picking up on that whole idea of whether you're new and where you are in your tennis career, you were asked how, what percentage of your potential you are. are do you think you're 50% of the player you'll eventually be, or 75? Or how cooked are you at this point, do you think? It's something that I've really thought about. And if you look at like the top 10 right now, most of them are in their 20s, like 24 or 20, 22 to 26, I would say. And um, as much as I would like to think that this might be the best I'll be, I don't believe it because I feel like a lot of most of the tennis players at least on tour now are peaking or around in their career around 22 to 26. Um, I was thinking about that the other day and that's why I kind of feel like I put a little bit less pressure on myself um, and I've noticed even at 15, from 15 when I started to now I realized like physically I'm at a much different level than I was at 15. Um, and I think I'm just continuing to get stronger. And there's like a joke that my mom has. She's like, you don't have that grown woman's strength yet. You'll know when you get it. Um, so I, I really don't know. I can't put a percent on it, but I do believe that the best is yet to come for me. Um, and I think that's just looking at other players and looking at when they're winning most of their titles. Um, so I do think I have a lot of way to go and also just maturity. I mean, I'm not mature yet. Um, like I am mature. I'm not going to say I'm immature, but I'm not as matured as I guess other players are. And that's just going to come with just life on earth, not just how many years you are on tour. Okay. Thank you very much, everyone. Thanks. That was Coco Goff. Now let's hear from top seed and overwhelming favorite, Iga Sviantek. Good to see you. Iga, welcome back to Melbourne. Perhaps to begin with, just tell us how the last few days of preparation have gone. Um, great. Um, I had, um, you know, pretty solid practices, so I'm happy to be here and I'm happy that I have um, a long time to, you know, get um, the conditions and get a feeling of these courts. But um, I also enjoyed my time off, so, so yeah, it's a good combination. <laughs> great. Let's go to questions in English. the shoulder failing one more time sorry how's the injury failing? oh uh it's it's good uh it's good so so don't worry about it there's nothing bad going on Matt. <laughs> sorry uh, from the new york times what was your sort of immediate reaction when you saw the draw and you saw your opponent I didn't really see the draw. Uh, I only know who I played in the first round, um, so I'm coming back to the system I had during the uh, whole season 2022. Um, so, so I can't really say anything, anything for sure. You, I, you know, she's, we played on US Open and you saw how intense that match was and how tough, so, um, so it's not going to be easy, but on the other hand, you know, any match on a Grand Slam is always kind of more intense and, and more stressful than on other tournaments. So uh, I'll be ready for it, but, you know, 
um, it's nice also that we played uh, not so long ago, so I can, you know, take a lot from that match. And um, and now I know how her ball, you know, feels on the racket. So, so we'll see. But you know, she has the same. So, <laughs> so we'll see. Catherine, I saw you got the chance to have a hit with Ash Barty and today at Kids Day, which is really cool. Is obviously this isn't going to happen anytime soon. But is there a part of you that? Longs to be able to play her at her peak for the two of you at, at your both your peaks at the same time to be able to play. Well, for sure. Um, when she retired, I felt like she still <laughs> had the best things out there. So, um, so, so yeah, I was I was pretty sad that I'm not going to be able to compete against her and, and maybe win. Um, but on the other hand, she on you know she gave me a lot in terms of you know my motivation and uh, my kind of willingness to practice even more and to get my tennis more, um, to, to have more, more variety on court because when I played against her I felt like she she just, you know, she has all these different game styles and slice and uh, even in her book she says that she has like five types of slice. <laughs> I don't know how that's possible. I'm, I still haven't figured out only, only one type but um, but yeah, I have like huge respect for Ash, and she really, she gave me a huge motivation at the beginning of last season to get even better. So um, I'm kind of grateful for that. Do you ever think about where you would be now if Ash hadn't retired? Well, I don't know. Um, honestly, I, I don't think about things like that because there are so many scenarios, like different scenarios that can happen in life, and. You know, many things could happen, and I wouldn't be here. On the other hand, maybe I would get through them and be here, and still, you know, be at the same place. So, I don't know. Can you talk about the challenges the Australian Open presents a player, and how do you feel it in terms of similarities to the U.S. Open, which you won? What are, what are the differences to the U.S. Open? Well, um, for sure, you know, the timing and that this is the first Grand Slam of the season, um, which makes it. A little bit easier in terms of you know, like physicality because we kind of more we should be more fresh and we should be. I mean, I always felt like I'm more ready for these longer matches, you know, and I can really push myself even harder. Um, but on the other hand, the conditions are sometimes tough. Actually, I was lucky that uh, for these years, these previous years, I didn't play in I don't know like 37 degrees. I always miss I always miss that so um, so I don't know if I'm gonna get a chance to play this year uh, in that kind of heat we'll see but um, yeah U.S. Open is tough because it's September so so I, I feel like we are all pretty tired and the conditions are different as well because it's no wait is it dry or humid I don't remember. Um, but it's it's just different, you know. The hard courts are faster, so um, so yeah. But for me, the timing is the most important thing, I would say. Courtney, uh, yeah, uh, last year, um, you know, you said that during the off season and you know early on working with Tomas that that you were working on being more aggressive and kind of embracing that game. So I'm curious for this uh, preseason and just and this season, the early stages of the season, have you guys talked about kind of what the improvements they wanted to see, what you guys worked on, what what is the next evolution of the Igishvian Tech game? Well, I wouldn't say that. I, I would say like the differences are gonna be smaller, um, and uh, and I think it's normal because 
when you get to the point where your you know ball is pretty fast it's not like you can make it even faster because you're gonna kind of you know lose control and there are kind of limits in terms of that so um and i also think that i don't know the greatest players that are consistent throughout their whole careers it's not like you know they i i don't think novak you know changed a lot in his game since a few years ago so um i think it matters to kind of um be able to just be consistent with with the best game you have and um and sometimes actually i feel like i tend to give even too much in terms of maybe the speed so for me it's all about you know staying uh kind of solid and uh and actually like not not change a lot <laughs> you know because it worked so why would i change a lot talked about trying to be kinder to yourself. Um, I'm curious if you had any goals for this year along those same lines, just not so much physical about your game, but in terms of your mental approach to it. Um, well, I'm always, I think I always going to have this, I'm always going to have this part of me that is, you know, a perfectionist. So, um, so when I'm not feeling comfortable in court, it's kind of hard to, um, to not be harsh, but but on the other hand, I the most important thing is kind of to find this um, balance that you know on court for sure I want to get better and better, but off the court, it, like the things that happen on the practice day don't have to influence you know my whole day and my whole mood. So I think this is the the thing that I've been working on, and it's it's just for sure getting better. Um, but but yeah, I mean. We care so much, and we give ourselves to you know this this sport that that is sometimes tough to um, find this balance. But I'm getting better at it for sure. Courtney, you obviously uh, read the the Players Tribune piece, and I'm curious on the topic of introverts and introversion. Um, do you think that tennis is a sport where introverts tend to thrive, or there's something built about it that seems to I mean, maybe it seems to, maybe I'm wrong, but seems to cater towards a more introverted uh, personality, or do you think that it's it's 50-50? What do you think? Well, it's hard for me to judge, honestly, because I never really analyzed, you know, other, like, personalities of other people. And sometimes, you know, um, people we are on court, we are kind of different than off court. Um, so it's not that easy to to... To see that, but but yeah, well, it's not a it's individual sport, so it should be a little bit easier. But on the other hand, like most of the time we spend on on site, we're spending with our teams, and um, and you have to also be able to communicate well in in this area and have a good relationships because um, because when you you don't stay in one place all the time um, it's also harder to you know make connections so you kind of have to work on that and not be so introverted okay yeah last question what are your three greatest strengths on court yeah should i say <laughs> no because my coach is like you say too much so um i would say my back end uh, second serve and return. 
and footwork, maybe. Now let's hear from everyone's favorite, Rafa. So Rafa, welcome back to the Australian Open. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about your first round opponent, Jack Draper, on, on Monday night? Maybe we'll wait for them, no? Oh, yes. <laughs> the announcement. <laughs> they are not used that I am on time. I know. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, uh, of course, uh, probably one of the toughest first round possible, uh, being seated, uh, young, uh, powerful, uh, growing very, very fast on the ranking, playing well. So probably, yeah, a big challenge for me at the beginning of the to start the, the tournament. So um, let's see. I am here to to just give myself uh, a chance. Uh, I know he he's playing well and uh, he has a lot of uh, a lot of positive things and probably a, a great career in front. But I hope to be ready to to fight for for that first round and let's see what what can happen. <laughs> How much have you seen Jack play? Well, a little bit, yeah. So. Uh, a few times, and uh, yeah, I know him <laughs> more or less. You want to listen in English? Yeah. Um, just like, how how do you feel about your own form coming in here, and do you feel vulnerable at all at the start of a tournament coming in like this? Yeah, of course. Yeah, without a doubt. No, uh, I have been losing more than than usual, so that's that's part of the of the business. So just accept the situation. Uh, I think I am humble enough to accept that situation and just uh, work with what I have today. Uh, I need to build again all this uh, momentum. I need to build again this uh, confidence with with myself, uh, with victories. Um, but it's true that I have been losing more than, than usual the last... Uh, of course, we can talk about... Uh, things that happened last year and all the situations that I I, I faced, but the, the the real thing is uh, I have been losing more than usual. So yeah, just <laughs> that's that's the truth. And then I need to to live with it and just fight for the for the victories. Now, by the way, I didn't play that bad the first two matches of the year. I lost against two great opponents, but having very positive chances to win both matches. Now, so and. I already have been here for three weeks, practicing every day uh, with that conditions, with the best players. That helps a lot in, in general terms. Uh, my situation, uh, I don't know what can happen uh, on Monday, but uh, my personal feeling without a doubt uh, is much better now than uh, three weeks ago in, in general terms. No, with my AP. Is, is this your? Um, I understand it's your first Grand Slam as a father, uh, mm. and you have your baby with you. Does that change your your training, your plans, your preparation, or is um, you know your approach? No. Like? 
No, that changed my preparation last year a lot, <laughs> without a doubt, and a lot of uh, uh, changes at the beginning. Uh, but now, no, I am able to to do my my normal routines, practice as much as I can. I practice it uh, three, probably more than ever, uh, more than the last uh, ten years, uh, the last three weeks. So, uh, and yeah, have been a. A positive experience in in in, in all ways. Uh, I'm very satisfied about the the these three weeks of uh, work and of course uh, having the family with me. Obviously, the last time we saw you in this room was after the miracle in Melbourne mm. that you pulled off in the final. I just wondered, with with the benefit of 12 months distance, how you think about what you achieved here last year. Well, the sport goes fast, of course, but uh, and what happened last year is <laughs> is already past. Uh, but but uh, in the sports, uh, and especially in a sport like tennis, uh, people remember the victories. No, uh, at the end, uh, people are gonna remember that today I, I have 22 Grand Slams. Not not that I lost uh, another. 50, you know. Uh, so what happened last year is, uh, yeah, gonna stay in in my heart and in my memory forever. Uh, one of the most emotional victories on on my on my tennis career, without a doubt. Uh, a lot of emotions uh, coming um, back from a, a long injury, and uh, the love of the people. Uh, the atmosphere that uh, we lived here on the on the Royal Labour Arena in that final have been unforgettable for me. Hi, guys. Um, yeah, you said you've been practicing here a few weeks. How are you finding the, the speed of the court and the balls this year compared to possibly last year? No, the speed of the court, I think, not big difference. The ball, yes, I don't know. It's the they say it's the same, but. The ball is uh, worse quality, without a doubt. But that's we can't talk about that anymore. It's what we have, and uh, and we need to play with it. So I think it's a ball that don't get uh, the same spin as usual. After a couple of uh, hits, the ball lose the the, the pressure. Uh, so it's it's more difficult to to. To hit with the right spin, but I think it's easier to play with the when you play flatter on the shots. But I need to live with it, and I think I practiced enough with the ball to to be ready for it. Hi, yes, uh, it seems like there's a new generation of players with the, the likes of uh, Carlos Alcaraz and the Danish star Holger Rune. Do you see these players uh, reach the same levels as you and uh, Djokovic? I can't predict the future, but uh, I mean, some of the names that you you named, uh, they are super good. Uh, but uh, Carlos have one Grand Slam, the others have zero yet. So uh, if we start talking about achieving 22 Grand Slams uh, or 21 or 20, I mean, it's a it's a big deal. Uh, that can happen. Yes, why not? But. Uh, at the same time, uh, never happened in the past, so will not be easy that happen two generations in a row. So uh, that's the that's just 
putting the logical perspective on the <laughs> on this on the room. No, uh, they are super good. They're gonna have an amazing career. They're gonna win uh, slams. They're gonna win a lot of tournaments. Yes, if they, if some of them, I mean, I am, sh I can't be sure, but I am almost sure that not two players of this generation gonna achieve 20, 21, and 22 Grand Slams. Uh, if someone can reach that number, maybe. Uh, gonna be difficult. They have a lot of things <laughs> to do in front, uh, but you never know what, what can happen. But uh, I mean, probably because uh, have been three players that achieved that much, we lose a little bit the perspective that uh, how difficult is all of this? No? Uh, because we are here playing tennis at the age of 36, uh, and you need to have a very, very long career. Uh, injuries are there, circumstances in life. Uh, don't talk about the level of tennis because that's probably a, a thing that you can have it, but then there's a lot of different facts in the life that can happen that makes this situation or, or these results difficult. No? So, no doubt about the potential they have, but the circumstances in life to, to put the pressure on their shoulders uh, to achieve these kind of numbers, I don't think it's fair. Last two in English, David and Matt. Hi, Rafa. Uh, David Law from the Tennis Podcast. Um, over the last 24 hours, we've had news that Cosmos and the ITF are no longer going to partner for the Davis Cup. I just wondered, in your experience, going back all the way to the start of your career, what format of the Davis Cup do you think works the best? I don't know. No idea. Uh, time uh, and uh, calendar and perspective of the players change it over the years. Uh, so uh, I don't think there is a one perfect Davis Cup format. That's my point of view. Uh, we have been criticizing a lot the last uh, couple of years the new format because we are not able to play at home or these are the other thing true but we can't forget that when the Davis Cup have been with the old format a lot of top players were not playing uh, very often so uh, at the end, always looks like the past things are better than the new things, sometimes uh, and sometimes not. And in this case, the new thing was new format was perfect. No, without a doubt, it was not perfect. The old format adapted to the new generations and the new times and new calendars, of course not, uh, because if you see uh, the top players playing very often on the older format. I don't remember that. I have been part of it, and uh, for me, it was that one was one of the most important issues that uh, we needed to fix before the new format. Then we experienced we experienced a new format that looks like not perfect, but anymore. But and the players are complaining, but the players are complaining always about any format that we that, that uh, we're gonna have. So uh, I don't know what's the what's the perfect situation because at the end of the of the day, you know, you know what what happened here. You know, we, we are in an individual tour. You know, we are a very individual sport. And what works for the number 50 probably don't work for the number five. What works for the number 10 don't work for the number 25. 
And what works for the number 120, of course, don't work for the number 80. So all the different opinions makes a perfect format impossible. That's my experience. <laughs> that's, what can I, that's what can I tell you. So at the end, we need a format, and we need to play with that format. And we need to be at the less negative format possible to allow the best players plays. And that's how it makes the competition bigger and bigger. Last one, Matt. Uh, you've had losing streaks before and slumps. How do you compare this one to ones you've had in the past? The what? Losing? You know, losing. You've had periods where you've lost a bunch of matches in a row and struggled. How do you compare those periods in the past to the struggles you've had the last? No, month I, don't, or two? I don't know if I had in the past that <laughs> that results. No, I mean. Uh, but I never liked the comparisons, you know. Uh, that's part of our journey. And uh, you need to live with your personal momentum. And my personal momentum is, is not bad, I tell you. I am, I am good, I am happy, I'm practicing well. Then I need to win a couple of matches. If that can happen here, I hope. If don't, I'm going to keep working to make that happen as soon as possible. But I... I from my experience, I, I tell you one thing. I mean, I can go here on Monday and lose without a doubt. Uh, I'm not going to be the end of the world. You know, going to be a, a tough moment, of course. But I'm going to accept it doesn't matter the, the result, and I'm going to keep working because at the end, I think I am in an in a improvement moment that I have been better and better every single week. Uh, I feel faster on the legs. I feel playing better with more confidence. The last three weeks uh, of preparation for here have been very positive from my point of view. Then I'm going to go on court and I'm going to try my best. And I still hope that I can play a very good Australian Open. But you never know what, what can happen. Of course, the first round is going to be an important one against a very tough opponent. But I feel ready, honestly. Uh, the only thing that uh, didn't happen in my side is victories. That's that's the that's the real thing. But for the rest of the things that uh, I am building to be ready for a tournament like this one, I feel quite ready. You know, so I would love to arrive here with a couple of victories. Yes, that didn't happen, so need to accept that and need to live with it. But the rest of the parts of my game that I I have been working with, I am quite happy and I feel ready uh, in terms of. Uh, try to play uh, a very good tennis on, on Monday. So then I need to make that happen, and I'm going to fight for it. Thank you. And the last word goes to the man himself, Nick Kyrgios. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, obviously this time of the year is a lot for someone a player like me with the pressure and expectation and, you know, just managing the body. I think, you know, the top players, you know, a good example is Novak. We're always kind of managing something. You know, the tennis season's so long. So, you know, I'm relatively feeling pretty good. I wouldn't say fresh, but, you know, I'm just really excited to be here again, obviously, after incredible memories last year with Thanasi and, you know, the year I had last year at the Grand Slams as well. So... I'm excited to see how things, um, you know, unravel this week. Questions to 
how did you feel you were portrayed in that first episode? And did watching it back give you some great memories and inspire you to maybe go better in the singles this year? Um, haven't watched it. Um, you know, I watched the preview, obviously, and just been so busy, man. Like, I just been doing so many things off the court, obviously preparing for the AO, but yeah, obviously it's massive opportunity for my brand to, to get out there, but you know, it's just so important for tennis. I think, um, you know, we've got so many great personalities, so many young personalities, um, and some, so many colorful athletes, you know, Francis, um, Alcaraz, Taylor Fritz, these guys are, you know, great tennis players and they're great people as well. So I think when the big three kind of, you know, settle down and end up do, um, retiring, it's so important that, these guys are on showcase globally because tennis is, you know, one of the most global sports in the world and we need it to be successful. Um, but, yeah, for me, how I'm portrayed, definitely not how the media's portrayed me. Um, you know, I'm a, definitely a fun kid who grew up in a very quiet sort of town with my family and, um, yeah, it was. it's obviously pretty cool to see, um, you know, how far I've come. Um, but I think the later episodes as well, following me around Wimbledon and all that type of stuff will be super exciting, so... You know, I'm just glad that, you know, tennis is on the map again. And I think that's it's one of the main talking points and um, one of the biggest sports right now, obviously, with the Netflix documentary dropping. So. Nick, uh, Shane from 3AW. Do you feel underdone not having an ATP or the No Cup event leading into the Australian Open, or do you feel that the practice that you've done with your team is enough going into a Grand Slam? Um... I have always been a player that doesn't need too many matches. Um, you know, I played 12 to 13 events last year and felt like that was a lot of tennis. So I'm always going to have to keep that in mind. You know, obviously there's, there are players that, are, that need a lot of matches going into a Grand Slam, but me, I just like to feel fresh. I like to feel like I've got everything under control. Um, but there's so many capable people here. So, you know, to, you know, there's all this talk about, you know, me being a favourite and, you know, big expectations. I'm just trying to take it a day, day at a time. You know, there's so many people here that can cause damage. So, um, yeah, I'm just doing everything um, everything right at the moment. Yeah, it was just a special moment, just more relief, more than anything. You know, obviously hearing the outside noise every day every tournament oh, he's not able to you know put it into a grand slam he's not able to do this not able to do that um i always knew belief wise that my level was there but to be able to do it consistently um was always the the issue but you know i think it just kind of showed me how stressful getting to a slam final is dealing with the outside noise um you know media commitments um you know balancing on court off court recovery you know those these guys that have won multiple Grand Slams, they're just animals, um, not only physically but mentally. So I kind of just, I don't get invested with anything before a slam that much anymore. And even during, I just kind of just roll with the punches and just go where the flow takes me and just trying to perform when I need to perform, that's it. But it just, it was a lot of relief, honestly, that I was able to show it finally at a Grand Slam. <laughs> you said your first time you, you, you feel the favourite uh, to in this Grand Slam, how this is make you feeling? Is more more pressure on it, or just enjoying that position? Um, well, I mean, I think everyone wants to get to a position in their sport or their profession and be one of the best and, and have that that expectation and pressure. You know, it's a privilege to to go out there and feel that Australia wants me to to win and and to be one of the favourites. It's a good feeling. Um, you know, I, I walked in here 
at the Australian Open maybe eight, nine years ago as a wild card. And now to see how my career has unfolded and to get to a point where everyone kind of expects me to win and go far is, it's a good feeling, but there's a lot of stress as well. You know, I see it every everywhere on social media or everyone talking about, oh, how are you feeling about Australian Open? Well, you're one of the favorites. It's hard to kind of just focus on what I need to do. You spoke just before about belief from Wimbledon. I wonder if it might be linked to that. The lesson, what, what did you learn from both Wimbledon and from the US Open? You had that really good run, but the tight and tough loss to Hutchinoff in the quarterfinal. What did you learn from those two grand slams about yourself and the tournaments? Um, I think the US Open was hard, really, I think really hard for me because every match I was playing the last match on, so I wasn't getting to sleep until 3, 4 a.m. every night which was incredibly hard. You know, that's hard for anyone. So I think it's just at a slam, you just can't get too invested. Um, you know, if you lose a set, you gotta just try and put it back and, and just forget about it and just keep going, keep moving. You gotta do everything right, tick all the boxes. But I just know at the end of the two weeks, if, if things go well or, you know, things don't go well, I'm gonna be emotionally exhausted after this. So I need to look after myself all the time. I need to make sure that I'm, you know, getting right amount of sleep. I need to just, you know, I'm a human at the end of the day and it can take so much. So, um, yeah, I just, I just know going into it, it's going to be, it's going to be tiring. I think uh, Carl from Danish media, Extrabladet. Um, there's a chance you might meet uh, Holger Rune in the round, uh, round three. Um, in Denmark, Holger Rune sometimes get criticized for his behavior on the pitch, for losing his temper. As someone who also like faced that kind of criticism, what would your advice be for a young guy like, uh, like Holden? I mean, he's one of the best talents that we have in the sport and he's got the ability to win multiple Grand Slams. And, um, you know, if I was Denmark or anyone who had Holger Rune, I would just make sure that they support him and, and give him all the support. He's a young guy. Um, he's super young and he's doing everyone proud around him and he's going to deal with a lot of pressure and a lot of expectations. So instead of, you know, criticising him and... You know, you focus on the positives, what he's able to do already, what he's done in such a short period of time. You know, he's so young and he's beating guys like Novak Djokovic in the final of Paris. You know, focus on that rather than the 30 seconds of when, you know, things get out of hand for 30 seconds. How good is he over the 95% of the time? He's amazing. So, you know, I'm super excited. I saw him in my little section of the draw, but I'm not looking forward at all. Um, you know, I'm focusing on everyone, you know, one match at a time, but he's an exciting talent. Um, Super good guy as well, and you know I've I've got to know him a little bit over the last couple of months, and he's going to have an unbelievable career. He's a super hard worker, so um, yeah, I would just tell Denmark to just embrace that. You know, he's the best player for your country, so just rem remember that. Um, Melbourne to my AP. Um, Nikki spoke about how busy you are. It seems like everyone wants a piece of you. Do you find those kind of uh, opportunities, say like last night, like give you energy, or do you? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, obviously, it's hard finding the balance. But you know, last night I look at the fact that I'm able to raise a quarter of a million dollars for charity, and you know, make Novak feel right at home at, at the Slam where he's had the most success. Um, you know, all the people that are just there to see me have fun, and, and I'm doing Kids Day today. I mean, that's always been a big priority for me. Is you know, I have this platform now where I'm able to, you know, inspire the youth, um, you know, do great things with it. Um, so, no, it's, it's, not, it's not really taxing for me personally. Um, obviously, 
everything takes energy. But at the same time, it's so rewarding to to see, you know, I go out there tomorrow, uh, yesterday with a couple young kids and they're posting on Instagram today saying it was the best day of their lives. You know, that's powerful. That's what us as athletes can do. Um, and I'll never slow down with that sort of stuff. You know, I think that's that's why I've got to the position I'm in. You know, someone like me, if you, you saw in the Netflix documentary, I look like a potato for the first 10 years of my life. Um, and, and now being able to, to do so many special things, um, you know, that's what I'm going to focus on doing. But yeah, I mean, it was pretty special last night. I think it was a special night for everyone. Last one, Nick. <clears throat> um, Nick, Sam from East Coast. Are you keen to sort of play most of the first week on John Kane Arena, or do you expect him <clears throat> to be more labour? I guess what are the differences between the two? Um, I don't necessarily mind anymore. You know, I've played so many matches over the last year on, on the biggest courts in the world. I think I've always got a little bit of a soft spot for John Kane Arena. I've had so many amazing memories on that court, and I think the crowd is just so rowdy and so much fun. But you know, I might, first round might, um, you know, want to play on that court, but if it's Rod Laver, I'm okay with that. You know, I feel extremely at home on any court I kind of play on now, and, you know, the crowd in Australia is amazing. The energy is unmatched. There you go, David Morgan, the podcast. Nick, you, you mentioned Novak. Mm. You, you played with him last night. How did you get from where you were a couple of years ago with him, the interview you did and what you, you spoke about him, mm. to well, I think, um, you know, I've had I've had relationships in the past where you know you you have a certain feeling about someone or they do certain things that you know rub you the wrong way or anything like that. But I think the challenge that he faced a year ago, um, you know, with the whole COVID situation and no one else really stood up for him, where you know that was a real life moment where the people that you know, actually care about your well-being will stand up for you. And I just did that. I felt like it was necessary. And obviously that was more important than anything that I'd said previously or done previously. You know, I went against my words and, and stood up for him in front of my country. And that's not, <clears throat> that wasn't easy for me either. You know, I, I, I dealt with a lot of crit criticism. Um, but obviously he appreciated that. And obviously we spoke um, after that. And I've obviously grown up a lot since that interview I did, you know. Um, I don't really regret anything um, in my, I think, life's too short to regret. You know, you kind of learn from these experiences and they're all kind of building blocks. Um, so, no, I don't regret it. But at the same time, I think that it's made our relationship more, even more special now that it's kind of, you know, gone from a rough sort of place to now we're helping each other out on the, on the, on the, on the biggest stage and, and we're just great competitors. And to think that I'm able to do that with one of the greatest of all time is cool. You know, I think my relationship with the big three is all different. You know, I'm really close with Novak now, quite close with Roger and me and Rafa. We just do that when we walk past each other. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Thank you. Those were some thoughts from select players. If you want to check out more of them, go to the Australian Open TV YouTube channel, and there are more press conferences there. I could play a bunch more of them, but at some point you have to call it a day, right? We're over an hour here. So to wrap up, again, coverage gets underway at the usual time, 7 p.m. Eastern Sunday night. Djokovic and Sviantek are my, are my picks for the title. If you've made it this far, congratulations. You are a true diehard. You've been listening to Trips Tennis Talk, the amateur podcast about professional tennis. 
And this podcast has been courtesy of Argon Productions. Duval!